This is from John chapter 9, and it's verses 1 through 7. I invite you to turn there if you like in your Bibles, um, but I'll go ahead and read it for us now. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. As Johnny said, my name is Brent, and I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community. I spend most of my Sundays over at the Leewood campus, but it's really good to be uh, worshiping with you all here today. Actually, I had a dream just a few nights ago that I forgot to come today. And uh, you know those dreams? Like, it's, you just feel so embarrassed and ashamed. But the worst part of the dream was the look of disappointment on Johnny's face. <laughs> It was like when you, like, when you disappoint a teacher or a, a parent, it was just, it was horrible. So I said like six alarms and I'm here and uh, yeah, so would you guys, uh, would you join me in prayer and then we'll get started. God, uh, we give you praise this morning. We trust that we are all in the right place, uh, that I'm here and that uh, you've put us all here uh, for a reason this morning and we're grateful for that, God. Um, we're grateful for the beautiful day outside and for the chance we have to dig into your word together. Like the blind man in our passage today, we ask that you would open our eyes. Help us to see you. And help us to see what you have for us this morning and what you're doing in the world all around us. And we welcome you into this place with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, who's really blind in this story? You just heard it read a few moments ago, the first seven verses anyway. Who's really blind? The answer seems pretty obvious. The blind man is blind. Okay, true enough. But we have to look closer. We only read the first seven verses of the story. The blind man, he gets healed, and it's a nice little miracle that Jesus does. But the story goes on for 34 more verses because the story is more than just a healing miracle. It's a story about who really sees the blind man isn't the only blind person that we're going to encounter because there are more ways to be blind than having no eyesight. So who's really blind? Now we're in a series this summer called Signs of Life and we've been walking through this middle section of John's Gospel and we've been looking at all these different signs that point to who Jesus is. And over the last couple of weeks, we watched as the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders uh, who rejected him, it began to boil over. In fact, at the very end of the last chapter, the religious leaders became so enraged at Jesus that they tried to kill him, but he slipped away. In John chapter 9, which is our passage for today, it picks up right where that account left off. 
So Jesus has left the temple, which was the scene of the attempted murder in the last chapter, and now he has this encounter with a blind man. As we explore this brilliant story, I again invite you to ask yourself the question, who's really blind? And the flip side of that question, who really sees? Answering those questions will help us to see what this passage has to teach us today. So let's jump in. If you're not already there, turn your Bibles to John chapter 9. Verse 1 says this, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. A blindness was more common in the ancient world than it is today. His most eye diseases back then were incurable, so it, it meant that it was not uncommon for someone to lose their sight at some point during their life. But this guy, he didn't lose his sight. He never had it to begin with. He was born blind, and that actually makes the miracle that Jesus is about to perform all the more remarkable because he's not restoring something the man had, but giving him something he never had. And it was common for people with disabilities to ask for alms outside of the temple from the pilgrims who were passing by. It was one of the only ways that they could earn enough to feed themselves. There, there just weren't jobs back then that could accommodate disabilities, especially the disability of blindness. And the city at this time would have been crowded with pilgrims because this whole section of John takes place during one of the major Jewish religious holidays. And Jesus and his disciples are actually only in town in Jerusalem uh, for the festival. So they're pilgrims as well. And here they are now. They leave the temple and they encounter this blind man. And it prompts a religious question from the disciples. For some reason, they want to have a theological discussion with Jesus about this blind man. But never mind that he's blind and not deaf. And he, it's possible he's listening in to their conversation Verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Again, the man is blind, not deaf. Okay, the disciples' lack of sensitivity makes you cringe, doesn't it? But it's a question the man probably asked himself. What did I do to deserve this? He carried his shame with him every day as he begged for food. Because everyone around him, ever since he was born... They either assumed that he did something to deserve this or his parents did. They make an assumption here that, that suffering must be because of sin. And to be sure, the Bible does talk about suffering as a potential consequence of sin. But books like Job and parts of the prophets and Psalms and Ecclesiastes, they warn against making the assumption that the disciples make. They assume that if it's true, that if sin leads to suffering, then suffering must be the result of sin. And so they ask, well, was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus says, no. Verse 3, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus says, well, God wants to do something through this suffering man. God's work is going to be displayed in what Jesus is about to do. And what Jesus is about to do is very strange. Jump down to verses 6 and 7. It says, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. That's gross. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, which is even more gross. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is kind of disgusting, isn't it? And probably also embarrassing for the blind man. 
And imagine what he's thinking. Excuse me, why are you spitting? And what are you putting on my face? Back in John chapter 5, there's a story that in many ways parallels this story. It's meant really to contrast with it. And in that chapter, Jesus encounters a paralyzed man. And he just simply tells him to get up and walk, and he was healed instantly. But here, he makes a blind man work his way across a city which is crowded with pilgrims with mud caked over his eyes. Put yourself in the blind man's shoes. This is kind of humiliating. But notice the posture of the blind man here and throughout the rest of the story. He, He simply listens to Jesus and does what he's told. There's no objection, just simple obedience. And he comes home seeing. As you can imagine, this creates quite a stir in the community. The people in the community recognize him, and and they ask the question, is this really the same guy who was blind? Some of them don't trust their own eyes. No, he just looks like him. But he insists that he was the blind man, and it was Jesus who healed him. So the community members, they bring the man before the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious leaders, And they were probably some of the same people who tried to kill Jesus at the end of the last chapter. The community is aware of the controversy that's that's surrounding Jesus, and they decide that the Pharisees, the leaders, need to investigate this man's claim. Now, verse 14 gives us an important piece of background information. It says this, Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes. To us, this detail may seem unimportant. But to the Pharisees, this is a big deal. Because like the disciples, the Pharisees know that God promised blessing to those who keep his law and cursing to those who break it. And so they are scrupulous in keeping God's law. And Sabbath keeping is a really big deal. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And we need to be clear here. There is no law that says you cannot heal someone on the Sabbath. But there are laws about not working on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees, they're, they're good lawyers, okay, and they wrestle with this question. Well, what does it mean to work? What, what qualifies as work? And they came up with a whole bunch of rules to define what qualifies as work and what doesn't. And the important point here is not that, is that Jesus did not break God's command, but that he broke the Pharisees' interpretation of God's command. It's their rules they put around it. And the Pharisees, they're, they're certain that their interpretation is right. And it's their certainty around their interpretation and about Jesus himself that we'll see gets them in trouble in this passage. It's their own certainty, what they know, that's actually the barrier that prevents them from accepting Jesus and his offer of life. But I'm getting ahead of myself. First, the Pharisees need to figure out whether Jesus kept their interpretation of the Sabbath laws. Verse 15, so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to him, to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. For some of the Pharisees, this is all they need to hear. It's probably the, the act of mud that makes them, of making the mud that makes them upset, that this making the mud was work and that, uh, that violates the Sabbath and that drives their conclusion about Jesus. But we see that even among the Pharisees, there's some disagreement. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? 
and there was a division among them. Because they can't decide, they turn back to the formerly blind man. They ask his opinion, which is really kind of remarkable. You know, here are these religious leaders with, with all of their religious credentials. They've done all the studying, attended the right schools, have the right degrees, years of ministry experience. And they ask this man, who's been an outcast all of his life, well, what do you think? Verse 17, so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So the man remembers his Bible stories about prophets like Elijah and Elisha, whom God used to bring healing to people in Israel. So if Jesus can heal his eyes, then he must be a prophet like them. Notice that it's the man without the Bible degree that draws the right conclusion. But the religious leaders, they don't like his answer. They've, they've already decided that Jesus is a sinner. So they decide to investigate further. Maybe this man isn't who he claims to be. Perhaps the witness isn't credible. And so they go and they find his parents to confirm that he really was born blind. And here the story takes a sad turn. Listen to how his parents respond. Verse 20, his parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Now John explains, his parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews. And John uses that the phrase, the Jews, he's talking about the Jewish leaders. They were afraid of the Jews since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. The parents, the parents essentially say, hey, we don't want any trouble here. Keep us out of this. They'll only say as much as they need to. He's our son and he was born blind, but that's it. They're afraid to draw any conclusions for fear of what might happen to them. They're only interested in their own self-preservation, their, their own status in their religious community. You see, the parents, they've also had to live with the shame of, their, of the disciples' question at the beginning of the chapter. Who sinned, him or his parents? They've had that stigma attached to themselves for their son's entire life. And now, instead of rejoicing that their son can see, they're too afraid of being shamed again, of being ostracized from their community. And so they take all the weight of that shame and they put it back on their son. Ask him. We don't want to be dragged into this. And once again, put yourself in the shoes of the formerly blind man. We don't know how much time has passed since he was healed, but it's, it's clearly not very much. This might be the first time he's ever seen his parents, and they throw him under the bus. This is their opportunity to confess on, on the basis of their son's miraculous healing that Jesus must be the Messiah. And instead, they just throw this case back to their son. Have you ever had someone not stick up for you when they should? That's a really painful form of rejection. The blind man has received his sight, but he's not done suffering, is he? So, failing to discredit the witness, the religious leaders, they turn back to the man. But the investigation is over. They're not investigating anymore. 
The religious leaders, they've already reached their own verdict about Jesus in spite of the evidence. And now they try to use their position of power and the threat of expulsion from the synagogue to coerce the man into agreeing with them. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Notice their certainty again. Essentially, they're saying, regardless of what happened to you, just agree with us. This man is a sinner. Stop talking about him, and you can be on your way. And the pressure to cave in must have been spectacular. Think of the power dynamics at play here. There are many of them and only one of him. They're the religious experts, and he's not. They have positions of authority in their community, and he's been an outcast his whole life. And here's finally his chance to be accepted. But he holds his ground. Verse 25, he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Notice the contrast in these two responses to Jesus. The religious leaders are certain that Jesus is a sinner, which, remember, is based on their own flawed understanding of the Scriptures. We know that he is a sinner. The man, he says, I don't know all that, but I know that I was blind, and now I see. So they decide to ask him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I think they're trying to reason with him to show that if Jesus did this on the Sabbath, then he must be a sinner. It's like, hey, let's go through this again, okay? We'll prove to you that he's a sinner. Verse 27, he answered them, I have already told you and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples also? I think this is probably sarcasm here. You know, he's, he's fed up with these guys because of their stubborn refusal to listen. And so he taunts them. Oh, I see. You want to hear the story again because you want to be his disciples, right? And now he's really starting to get under their skin. Verse 28. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Now, it's not actually true that the religious leaders don't know where Jesus is from. Back in chapter 7, they used the fact that they did know where Jesus was from as evidence that he couldn't be the Messiah. So this is really just meant as an insult. It's like we don't even know where he's from. What, what good could come from Nazareth? He's a nobody. Trust us. You don't want to choose his side. But the blind man responds with the best argument of all. It's logical, it's biblically sound, and it enrages the Bible experts who are blinded by their own faulty certainty. Verse 30, he says, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now this is a good argument, and to anyone who's open to hear it, it should be convincing. This man, Jesus, he must be from God. But rather than listen to the logic of the argument, 
the religious leaders react the same way that those with bruised egos so often do. They dig in their heels and they resort to name-calling. Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Remember that this entire chapter started with a question from the disciples concerning the circumstance of this man's birth. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They asked it right in front of the blind man, and now the religious leaders hurl the same accusation at him as an insult. You are born in sin. Your blindness proves it. How dare you lecture us? And they expel him. So who's really blind? Let's not miss this. The story ends with a man who was, who was blind but now can see and a group of men who can see, the 20-20 vision, but are completely blind to Jesus and the miracle that he just performed. So who has the real problem here? Who is seeing and who is blind? Jesus wants us to see that there is a blindness worse than not being able to see. There is a blindness, a stubbornness that prevents us from seeing who Jesus is. The disciples were blind. Their blindness was faulty theology, that, that all suffering can be traced to specific sins. And the man's parents were blind. And fear, they were, their blindness was fear, fear of, lose, of uh, the consequences of confessing what was plainly true. They were afraid of, of losing their status and their community. The religious leaders, they're blind. Their blindness was certainty, certainty in their biblical interpretations and, and in their preconceptions about the Messiah and that Jesus didn't fit those preconceptions. So they reject Jesus and now they reject this man that he's healed and they kick him out. And, and we can't be sure whether this is a permanent excommunication or it's only a temporary measure that's meant to pressure him to change his mind. But either way, the consequences for this man are severe. He's finally had the stigma of his blindness removed. He finally has a chance to be seen and welcomed as a whole member of society. And now he's out. And in a communal society like those in the Middle East, to be banned from your community, even temporarily, would be absolutely devastating. The blind man can now see but from one perspective, he's almost worse off now than when he started. So far, his healing has only brought about more suffering in the form of rejection from his parents and now rejection from his community. There's a sense in which you could say that Jesus ruined this man's life. And I think there's a sense in which he wants to ruin ours as well. Because following Jesus might mean scuttling our own ambitions it might bring division and rejection from our families, and some of you may have experienced that. It might mean that we have to open our eyes to the suffering that's around us and get dirty ourselves in addressing it. But the reality is that Jesus actually just wants to give us something better, and that's where the story goes next. Remember that even though the man claimed to be a disciple of Jesus when he was being interrogated by the Pharisees, Remember, he hasn't actually interacted with Jesus since before he received his sight. Jesus has been absent from the story since verse 7. The man still doesn't even know what Jesus looks like. 
But Jesus doesn't wait to be found. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? It's a title that Jesus uses to refer to himself. He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Now, once again, you have to admire this man's faith. This whole story, he's been shamed, humiliated, and rejected. But all he wants to know is, tell me where the Son of Man is so I can believe in him. And when Jesus says, you're looking at him with the sight that I gave you, he falls down in worship. And Jesus then uses this moment to drive home an important message to his opponents. The Pharisees are nearby, and Jesus says, to, says either to them or loud enough so that they can hear, for judgment I came into this world. This is verse 39. For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. This is a bit cryptic, but the Pharisees deduce that this is directed at them. Verse 40. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Now, I understand why the ESV chose to use the word guilt here, but it unfortunately obscures something that stands out in the original language as well as other English translations. The word translated guilt is the same word that has been translated as sin throughout this whole passage. And remember that the passage opened with a question about who sinned, the man or his parents. And the religious leaders, they claimed to know that Jesus was a sinner. And then they accused the man who was blind of being born in sin. So the question of who is a sinner has run through this entire passage. Now let's look at that last verse again in another translation. This is from the Christian Standard Bible. If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. The question at the beginning of the passage was, who sinned? But Jesus is saying that the more important question is not who sinned, but who has sin, or whose sin remains. If you could just see that you don't see, Jesus says, then you wouldn't be guilty. You wouldn't have sin. There's a blindness that's worse than not seeing. There's a blindness that does more than make life hard. It, it makes finding life impossible. It's a blindness that won't find help or love or grace. So who is really blind? That's the question we've been asking. And the reality is that everyone in this passage is blind, except for Jesus. Jesus is the only one who sees reality as it is. In fact, the very first thing that Jesus did in this passage, back, way back in verse 1, was that he saw the blind man. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. There's a sight that begins by being seen. Every, everyone in this passage is blind except for Jesus. And the only, there's only one other person who knows it. And he's the one who gets healed. He's the one who responds in faith and worship. 
And others will get there. The, the disciples, they'll see eventually. And, and even some of the religious leaders will see eventually. But the one who gets his sight in this story, who truly sees who Jesus is, is the one who was first seen by Jesus. He didn't need to do anything to get Jesus' attention. Jesus simply saw him and moved toward him in love. But what we did see from the blind man was faithful humility. To go where Jesus said to go, no matter how foolish he looked, with mud spattered over his eyes. And he didn't pretend to have all the answers, but openly confessed what Jesus had done for him at great personal cost. And as soon as his Savior found him, he fell at his feet in worship. The story began with Jesus seeing the blind man and ended after he had gained his sight but lost everything else with Jesus going out to find him. And the man born blind, when the man born blind sees Jesus seeing him, he worships. The good news is that Jesus sees us too. And may he open our eyes as well. And may we likewise respond with faithful, humble obedience and worship. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for seeing us. For seeing us in our pain, and in our grief, in our need. Like the blind man in our passage today, we are all in need of healing and rescue. And Jesus, we confess that there are so many things that blind us to what you are doing in us and in the world around us. Our fears, our stubbornness, our certainty. Jesus, also, we thank you for finding us, for seeking us out even after we've run from you. You seek us and you find us and you welcome us home. And you've invited us to join you at your table. And we are glad to join you this morning, to eat this meal with you, not as guests, but as part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen.